It's me again. If you missed the last episode, I'm Eric. I produce the show. I'm here to introduce another episode, this time an AMA that Jen and Sarah did of the tail end of a recent Faded States phone banking session. It's short and sweet, but there's some good stuff in there, so don't miss it. You'll next hear from Sarah and Jen on New Year's Eve when they'll be dropping a very special episode. Stay tuned. All right, so we have um, questions from listeners who are writing postcards with us right now, and we can each pick some. Um, I am going to pick this one first from Coral. What are your thoughts on using a pen name versus using one's real name? Which would you recommend using? I'll tell you why. I, I tell you why, because Sarah and I both have pen names for our, like, last name. Even I do. Um Whatever you choose, I would recommend making your pen name still your regular first name. Agreed. I I feel like I have a lot of friends who I'm, like, routinely calling them (laughs) their pen name because that's their romance name. And then I'm like, do you want me to call you? Yeah. I mean, I think it's also just easier. I I mean, I don't know. I've never done the other thing. Mm -hmm. So my real first name is Sarah. So um, it makes it easier when people call you at an event for you to you know, pay attention. People don't make the mistake. Sometimes that is one of the problems. Like every once in a while, somebody who I know in real life whose name is all is a different name. I mean, for example, everybody knows this because Sophie Jordan used to write under her name, Sherry Kohler, and she's a Sherry in real life. And I often, you know, she's my closest, one of my closest friends. So, um, you know, you sometimes I'll call her that on a panel <laughs> And it's just, it's an awkward thing. It's my fault, not hers. But, you know, it's an awkward thing for her, I imagine. So, um, yeah, that's my thought. My other, the reason why I use a pen name is because um, I use a pen name for my last name is because my last name is long and Italian and difficult to spell. And so, truthfully, that is the whole ballgame for me. Like, it was, at the time, I knew, like, I was writing Regency historicals. And having a name that was easy to spell or at least pronounce. For me, I use one because, uh, (laughs) as you all know, I'm a middle school teacher. And my students know that I review romance. Like, I I talk about that. I talk about—I think that's a cool thing to know that your teacher still does. You know, and they know I love romance. But I I don't really have a whole lot of interest in 13-year-olds ever listening to Faded Mates for, I think, obvious reasons. So, it's also just, like, a layer for me professionally from my— my students. There's a second sort of part two question from Colleen about how I picked my pen name. Um, it's my my grandmother's, my maternal grandmother's maiden name. Uh, so is mine, Sarah. Look at us. Faded mates. Uh, why are there not more romance books made into movies or TV shows? It feels like Hallmark movies are... <laughs> oh. Our poor man versions of the books. That's Maya. Um, go ahead, Jen. Why is it? I guess I here's what I would say is a positive spin on this is if you do want more romance books made into movies or TV shows, you should watch the ones that are coming out now. Yeah. Put Virgin River just on in the background. Ava Lee had a wrote a Hallmark movie a timeless christmas yeah like so if we want more i think we just need to watch the ones that are out there that are really good 
Um, I do feel like, so my sister-in-law writes for TV, and there are so many streaming services now that are trying to, like, there's more TV being made all the time, right? Hulu and Netflix and Amazon and Apple all have their own shows. Misogyny is why it didn't used to happen. But if we want it to happen now, I would say watch the things that are coming out, and that's how we will show there's a demand for them. Yes. I am um, very curious to see how uh, Bridgerton's does sex on the page, so to speak, because um, I think that's my that is my struggle with Hallmark movies. Is like I want there to be like real. I don't want it to be kissing from the jump. Well, it's like a kiss at the end, and then we're supposed to think they're happily ever after or whatever. It's like a weird thing, right? Those Bridgerton books have a lot of sex in them, so. I would like to see it happening on the screen. What else, Jen? This is a question that's kind of a reading question. So um, what would make you stop a book before you finish it? Maya has a que- another question, which is, maybe it's a different Maya, um, which is like, why would you DNF, right? Why would you do not finish? Um, I Here's what I would say is, um, there's to me, there's like two different kinds of DNF. The one is like the, it's not purposeful. You just like put it down and never pick it back up. And that's often you and not the book. And I I would agree with that entirely. Like, I think those are just ones where you're like, yeah, you know what? I just stepped away from it. And I, for whatever reason, I didn't really pick it back up. And sometimes I pick those books back up later and it's been the right time. That's like DNF number one. DNF number two is the one where you really are essentially firing the book. (laughs) And... I have DNF books on page one. I have DNF books on page, you know, I have DNF books halfway through. Often for me, it's like something irredeemable, um, like sexism or racism in a way that I just like can't get behind. But I think the thing, it doesn't really matter like what it is that leads you to that. Here, I have written threads about this. Maybe I'll dig them up. I think the most important thing I would tell you to do is trust your judgment as a reader. You do not have to keep reading books you're not enjoying. Just stop. It's okay. And I know a lot of people are completists, right? Like, I started it. I must finish it. Life is too short for that. Yeah. And I and here's one way I often talk to people about it that really, like, convinces them. <laughs> so I'm 47. I, let's say that I have, you know, I don't know however many reading years left in me. If I read 200 books a year, which is a lot for a romance reader, but maybe, right, a a normal amount for a fast romance reader, and in 20 more years, how many books is that? Like, it's not that many. Don't do that. That's terrible. But my point is, is, like, it makes it so much easier to quit a book I don't like. Yeah. Because I'm like, hey, I only have however many thousand left. Why would I waste one here? So I would just say, if a book is not working for you, you can just let it go. And it's totally okay for you to DNF a book that, like, everyone else loves. Like, Jen and I talk all, like, if you pick up a Julie Garwood book after listening to our Julie Garwood episode, and you're like, ah, I don't want it, not good, just, we're not, nobody is the final arbiter of what is great. Right, absolutely. You know, this is also a good thing, a good reminder for this time in in the year where we're seeing so many best of the year lists, like, I, I mean, Jen and I made one too, right? So if like some, those books work for us. Reading is so personal. 
And, um, you know, I do, the only rule that I sort of have is if it's a book that is getting, for me, but this is because this is my job, right? Like, this is my literal job. I pay my bills with romance novels. So for me, I don't DNF, the only book that is, that is safe from my DNF is a book that is like the book everyone is talking about. Right. That's work. Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, But other people who are not paying their bills with romance novels, life is too short. And to answer your question, what would make me DNF a book? I mean, I DNF most of the books that I read, and I do them, I DNF between, like, chapters one and three, and it's purely boredom. Yep. If you're not keeping me in the story, I I don't come back. Um, For the same reason Jen said, like, there are too many. There are too many good ones. Well, Sarah, you should tell them what you, like, every night you start a book. I start a book once a day, yeah, every night when I get into bed. And I, if I finish the book, that means that I have read until 2 or 3 in the morning. And if I don't finish the book, it's, I don't come back to it. Largely. I mean, like, that's not a a thousand percent true. This year has been really strange for me. So, like, that's not a hundred percent true this year. But in before times, that was real. Go next. You pick one. Um, Okay. This is just the one I'm looking at. Jen, what is your favorite thing about being a romance critic? And there's a second half that is for me, which is Sarah, which is your favorite of your heroes. (laughs) (laughs) That's hard. We'll give you time to think about that. All right. There's kind of two parts to this. Um, Like many of us, romance reading was sort of my, my my secret reading for a long time. Being a romance critic means that it is not a secret anymore, and being able to talk about the books I love with, like, the smartest person I know about romance, which is Sarah, on a weekly basis is, like, a thrill I cannot even describe to you because it just means, like, I don't have to ever feel like it's a secret again. So I think one part is just, like, emotionally being able to, like, be have robust, interesting conversations about romance who pe- with people who respect it is is pretty great. Um, I would say the other part of this for me, like personally, is um, I, I've been a teacher since I was 21. That's what pays my bills. Although I'm still talking about books, so it's kind of the same thing. I made a really purposeful decision after some things, um, like my son got older and some things like didn't pan out that I wanted to in terms of like my career. And I was like, you know, I'm just too tied up in, like, work. I I need to have another outlet. And so I really made this, like, really purposeful, like, people who know me maybe have heard this story, but I I was like, I'm going to do something that's for me that's going to, I'm just going to, like, make my life different. And so I started reviewing. And I remember thinking at the time, like, okay, should I review YA? And then I was like, well, but then that's work. Like, wait, that's d- dumb. I'm going to do romance because it's what I love. I'm not doing it for kids. I'm not doing it for school. I'm doing it for me. I don't know how I would have made it through this year without Faded Meets. And so, like, very explicitly, too, I feel very proud of myself for for saying, like, I'm a really smart, capable person. I'm going to, like, make this, like, weird second life for myself And then, like, I did it, and I was really successful at it. And I have some strange, weird things about it where um, what I say to people is, like, I've always kind of thought it was, like, bullshit when people say, like, just do what you love and you'll find success. Because I was like, is that really how that works? And I was like, oh, shit, it kind of does. So 
Yeah, it really does. I mean, it makes it, I've been thinking a lot about this recent, that particular thing recently, because, you know, when you, you know, as a writer, right, you, um, you get asked a lot as a romance writer, like, when are you going to write a real book? (laughs) Right? Like, when are you going to write a book that's not a romance novel? And my answer is, like, I'm not. Like, I write the book that I, I write the books I love to read, and I think that's why I'm okay at it, right? Like, because when I come at a book as a writer, I'm coming at it with, like, all these pieces of romance in general. Like, oh, I, today, when I was rereading Julie Garwood, I was, I had this, like, spark of an idea for the book that I'm working on because I was like, oh, I love that. Why is that not in any of my books, right? And so those kinds of moments happen. And that's going to, I can, also I can tell you as a writer who also loves romance novels, like that scene, this particular scene, I know Kate and Jen are going to text me about this scene now. And like, it's because I love romance so much. And so I just like put it all into the books. And so yeah, do what you love. That's what makes it good. Um, what? Who is my favorite hero? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Probably Wit. I mean, Hattie and Wit together. Like, that book was kind of magical for me, writing it. I have lots of other heroes. I mean, I love all my heroes, mostly. Except for Bourne. <laughs> but other than that, like... I kind of love him, too, though. I know. I mean, well, everybody. I mean, a lot of people love Bourne, but he gave me a he gave me a real rough time. So we're so. <laughs> um, okay. This there's a couple questions here that are like, have our husbands read romances and what did they like? And then one about are there other? Well, this is kind of related. A woman looking for working class leads to recommend to her husband. So Mr. Reads Romance does not read romance. Um, he is a big audiobook listener. And I have, I'm, I'm prepared for, like, the day where he's like, I am going to do it, but I don't really think it's ever going to happen. He feels about romance the way I do about fantasy football, which is, like, I'll listen him talk about his fantasy football teams, but will not really ever watch football with him. It's okay. And you still love each other, so it's fine. <laughs> um, uh, Eric, who you all know, does not read romance novels. But he knows more about it than any man alive, But he probably. knows a lot about them. <laughs> um, which is kind of amazing. Like, periodically he'll say, like, he'll say something, and I'm like, wow. Like, you really have internalized <laughs> all of this. And whenever I say that to him, he's like, I listen to every episode, like, four times. Yeah. Like, of course I have. Um, so uh, so that's Eric. He has read, like, two of mine, I think. Like, they're fine. Yeah. Great work, everyone. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Wait, what was the other part of Oh, that? so then there's a second question, which is from Jamie, says, I made my husband read his first romance novel, Brazen and the Beast, and he really liked it. Oh, Jamie. Yeah, this is right. Especially the fact that both leads were not upper class. Any recs for historical romance that follow more working class leads? I feel like Scotland is... I mean, a lot of Scotland, but also it feels like a lot of men really love Dreaming of You. Like, I know we talk about it all, Derek Craven, whatever, but, like, a lot of men really love that that Yeah, that's book. a great suggestion. Uh, historicals. I mean, American set, right? Like, think about... I feel like Beverly Bev Jenkins, Jenkins, yes, would be a great answer. Like, Colt, there's one where there's, like, Colton's a doctor. I mean, Indigo is amazing. Yeah. I feel like if you move outside of England, you're going to get 
look, there are a lot of working class heroes in in um, in Regency too. But if you move outside of England, you're going to get them in Scotland. You're going to get them in England. A book I really loved by E. E. Ottoman called "A Matter of Disagreement" is they're like scientists. And I feel like there's a very strong, um, like, kind of scientist, you know, I joke about fossils all the time, but often that is, if they're not, like, you know, upper class or, like, working class, sometimes there's ones about scientists that can be pretty interesting, you know, they just love astronomy or whatever. So I feel like, um, and also, Manda Collins. Oh, I love Manda's books. I have not read the new one, but I think it's more of a mystery and it sounds terrific. And I it's called A Lady's Guide to Mischief and Mayhem, maybe. Um, and so I would say um, maybe Amanda Collins. Baron Uncle Bastards, he should look at Elizabeth Hoyt, um, who, you know, her Maiden Lane series is almost exclusively working class characters. Right. Especially the one Winter Makepeace. Yeah, it's basically like Georgian superheroes. Um, and then... Um, Sophie Jordan writes a lot of, has written a lot of, like, uh, soldiers. And then the one other one I was thinking is Cat Sebastian's series where they're kind of, um, like the Lawrence Brown affair. They're, like, like more like Derek Craven, that they're, like, con artists almost, right? Same thing with K.J. Charles. So I would say... K.J. Charles, yeah. K.J. Charles, but also, um, again, kind of like that criminal, that sort of, like, underlying kind of Peaky Blinders style, right, is um, Anne Mallory's, uh, we talked, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but One Night is Never Enough, is that series, uh, they're all, like, casino owners or, like, criminals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're riding that line of criminal. Oh, and yeah, somebody in, of course, Joanna Shoup, all those Uptown Girls books. Obviously. And they're amazing. I mean, I feel like we talk about Joanna so much. That like, Hello, Joanna like, Shoup. Surely everyone's read Joanna by now. Okay. That was a lot of suggestions. I will, show notes, I'll, you know, get them all together. There's a couple questions about whether or not we have read the second in the Millivane series, um, A Touch of Stone and Snow. And the answer is, I have not yet. But I can tell you what I've heard is that it's a li- the hero's a little softer. That it's actually pretty different in tone. Um, but quite a few people on Twitter were like, oh my god, it's amazing, and I loved it. It's just really different. So I have not read it yet, but it is actually on my list. I really want to get it done before the end of the year. It's kind of just like I've been so busy. So um, Susan Kim, who is, uh, I think, probably on the call, sent me a signed copy of it. And I was like, ooh, fancy. So excited about that. What I mean, we have to have talked about this already, but what from Danielle, what is the most bonkers romance you've ever read? There I mean, that's so many. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's hard. I mean everything ever written by Oh, Annika Martin. Yeah. Annika Martin is essentially the queen of yeah, the yeah. 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 I mean, one of those heroes was raised in the like by wolves. He's literally feral. It's a whole series that's literally <laughs> called "Taken Hostage by Kinky Bank Robbers," and I was like, "Yeah, sure, that's what I want. I'm for it." Um, I gotta go back. I mean, for me, if you have not listened to our category romance, the first category romance interstitial we did about like category romances from the like early '90s, <laughs> where it, it, you really should because. 
I I mean, it's surely all of those because it's like the one where the heroine can speak to animals and there's like a secondary love story with a dog and like <laughs> the um the one where there's a, a dragon. there's like a dragon haunting a castle in Scotland and these are all contemporaries and like truly bananas and I love them a whole like I would absolutely read any one of those again. Yeah. You know, Elizabeth Elizabeth Lowell's, you know, hero who can smell pregnant women. And Stuart's one where like the heroine thinks she's falling in love with her actual brother, but like turns out he's not her brother. We both ordered a copy of that. We're gonna do that at some point. We're gonna have a categories part two, yeah, for sure. So there are many of those categories. I mean, I just feel like though there were no rules. Weirdly, you hear about those, about categories as being, like, the ones that have all the rules, but it was the Wild West out there in the 80s, it feels like. Okay, so I'm going to answer, okay, listen, everybody, I'm going to answer, I'm going to tell you my daddy theory. (laughs) I left that one because I was like, she gets to decide if she wants to answer that one. (laughs) I mean, it's a bold, it's bold. But I did the, I revealed the poop theory on the That's true, so I guess it's my turn. Okay, ready, listen. I kind of want to, like, now expand it so I can see everybody's faces when I say this. I'm not sure Eric's going to put this out there for our however many downloads a week. Listen, I think it's because we miss Obama. (laughs) I really think that daddy is because we have a terrible president and we as a nation just, like, need to be taken care of. And I really feel like daddy is about Obama. I'm sorry. It's how I feel. I don't think I could put that out there. I think there's a lot of reasons why a white lady cannot say that super publicly. I just want to also say that I know that's fucked up and wrong. But I really think that the fact that Donald Trump is our president is what makes us want daddy. That's what I, I, there it is. Sarah's like, I'm dead. Okay. Can we have a witch interstitial? (laughs) (laughs) Um, If you feel that you can't have enough for an interstitial in a couple of wrecks. Um, I think we could do a witch interstitial. Yeah, that'd be super fun. You know, Alexis Daria is in, I saw her like fly by in the chat earlier. I feel like Alexis would be a great person to talk about witch interstitials, but Alexis is coming in to talk about content, to talk about celebrities. Yes. Soon. I am so excited, by the way, about our celebrity episode with Alexis. It's going to be amazing. Especially because yesterday we talked about something celebrity related with Adriana and I am very excited about getting about digging deep into celebrities but the answer is the short answer is yes let's do a which one because I think which is which coming back right exactly witches are coming well Rachel Hawkins has just now of course I don't know I can't remember what the new name is this is this is authors choosing new names for things but Rachel Hawkins who writes YA novels um is is going to write, is currently writing a witch, like, rom-com series for Avon. And so, like, those are coming. So, yes, witches are happening. Mm-hmm. There are, um, there have been a number of sales of witch romances. So, it's exciting. And then I think, um, and there's one coming from Alexis, too. She says she's here. Let's do it. Let's just get her on. Let's everybody stay. We'll just do it I'm right like, now. I'm not ready, but... <laughs> We'll just, we'll just power through. 800 years of faded mates later. Actually, we have a question that I don't think there's an answer to, but maybe we'll throw it out there and then and 
maybe Sarah has one. So it's, I've never read any Russian history before, but Rachel Hawkins recommended Robert Massey's Catherine the Great biography, and now I'm obsessed. It's going to be the only book by a white man I finished this year. What imperial Russian romances are out there for when I inevitably burn out of nonfiction? And I would say there's not that many. Now, there were some older ones from, I don't know if you remember this, like Fayreen Preston and... Like, there were some older ones where, like, uh, like winter ice or satin ice or something like that. Um, a lot of the Russians, of course, now are, like, in the mafia tree of romance. But I don't know if there are actually a whole lot of... Do you know any, Sarah? I do. Well, here's my problem. I don't know Russian history, like, long term. I know Cold War Russian history forward. But I don't know prior to that Russian history enough to know if this is imperial Russian. So apologies if this is the wrong historical time period. But there is the Stokehurst duology from Lisa Kleypas, which is Midnight Angel and Prince of Dreams. Do you remember this? The Prince of Dreams one is like it's like one of them get. It's like maybe now. Of course, it's been a long. I think I've only ever read it once. So apologies if I'm absolutely getting this wrong. But there's like he's he gets amnesia or like there's like a fan, there's like a past life situation going on in this. Am I telling somebody in the chat will know this for sure? And we will. I will correct it in show notes if I'm completely wrong. Because now, of course, like. It's just a good reason to reread a Lisa Kleypas book. But there's some, like, past-life mysticism thing going on here. And it's set in—or maybe Amnesia, I can't remember. But it's set in historical Russia. Um, And I want to say, yeah, like, there's, like, a—he's, like, exiled and, you know, Rasputin is in this. Is Rasputin imperial? That's, like, kind of that right at the end. The only thing I know about Rasputin, aside from that children's— movie Anastasia like their lost princess thing is that his penis is in a like bottle somewhere in Russia I mean sure you know that sounds weirdly familiar (laughs) we'll put that in show notes too now I will say this (laughs) god I just saw that there is also a child watching it's okay that's great she's like it's fine I'm really happy to be helping Robin These are, in fact, like, great stories. There's a great book for, like, middle schoolers called The Family Romanov, which tells the story, essentially, of the end of the Romanov dynasty and the end of Imperial Russia. And um, it is a—it's, like, a terrific read. Like, kids really like it. So if you, for whatever reason, are like, well, I— I, they didn't give me a romance, but here's some other recommend book I can give to my 12-year-old. The Family Romanov is great. yeah. But Russia, no. Other than that, all the Russians I know are modern. I want to shout out Honey Trap again. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, Cold War. Which we put on our best of the year list, which is Cold War, Russian Spy. And then, uh, of course, Cressley's copious Russians of all kinds. (laughs) (laughs) So I feel like the last question we're going to do is – there's a lot of people that are like, okay, for the people coming from Lindsay, for the people coming to Romance Now in the 2020 dumpster fire year, which books do you think are imprinting on them and why? Like, what are the bellwether books going to be? Heart of Blood and Ashes. I mean, they have to be. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what you want everybody to be imprinting on. Jen. We're making we're making fetch I mean, happen, Sarah. It's fine. Welcome to Romance. Read Millivane. Um, no, it ha- no, it's. It's these amazing, it's like Alexis, 
Daria and Sally Thorne and, um, you know, Kennedy, Ryan, and, I mean, I think there's just such a, like, remarkable collection of gorgeous contemporaries that are just changing the game in so many ways. Um, And, you know, we've talked about a lot of these names again and again, but, like, I feel like contemporaries are really what is what is imprinting on on 2020. Well, because it's such an escape, right, from our real contemporary thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious. There was a question in here, too, about, like, what will the pandemic look like on the page? And we've sort of talked – we've talked about this with Christina Lauren um, and others, but I feel like the the – the pandemic is, I think, what's happening in contemporaries now, or what we'll see over the next, like, year, I think, in contemporaries, is people absolutely not addressing, like, the fantasy experience. We talked about this a little bit when we did the hating game deep dive, but, like, part of the joy of of these sort of top-notch, like, really terrific contemporaries that are coming out right now, um, part of the joy of them is that they feel like fantasy. They feel really romantic and, like, with characters who are larger than life and, like, heroes who you can really, like, love and heroines who can really identify with. And because they have that kind of fantastic feel to them, I mean that, I mean, like, fantastic, like, you know, remarkably fantastic feel to them. They, they feel like a gift during a time when the pandemic is, you know, happening. Can I, I, I have a, I have a bold suggestion. I have a bold prediction, which is one of the things we've talked about is how this pandemic is really hitting women so hard. I, I am hoping to see a resurgence of women in contemporary romance having really interesting jobs because I think the way that women feel about work and having to stay home or, right, like the way this is impacting women in their lives. Um, In the 2009 downturn, we got Christian Grey, but I am going to be really, I'm really hoping that what we see instead is like a real recommitment on the part of contemporary romance to the idea that like women having really interesting and fascinating jobs and work is part of like how we're writing ourselves back into what's going on. I think that's going to be really interesting because I think you're absolutely right, right? All these books are so heroin-focused, especially, I mean, like, the ones that are MF, right, are so heroin-focused. Um, I think it will be interesting to see the 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 um, sling back to uh, the from the, the she session, right? Like, what will we see now that so many women have, have ended up, like, either choosing not to work because they have to stay home and, like, teach their kids or, you know, have lost their jobs during this. So I think you're probably right that there's some kind of, like, heroin purpose that's going to be baked in. I also think we may well—and this is predictive rather than, you know, looking at 2020, but I think that we're probably going to—I would like to say that we are going to see more, I think— paranormal or more historical, like the the genres that have taken a little bit of a backseat over the last decade. More room for them, yeah. For the same reason, fantasy. And Bridgerton's. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, she says as a historical <laughs> romance writer. That is, we're 10 minutes over. Um, but you all, we are 
wild about you. Thank you so much to everyone. Honestly, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for giving us part of your Saturday in December. Thank you for giving um, John Ossoff and Reverend Warnock your part of your Saturday. Thanks for writing postcards and hanging out with us and tolerating us every week in your ear holes. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We love you.